talking about seven signs that point to heaven. That in the book of John, Jesus gives these seven signs that show who he is. And each sign has a different message, a different manifestation of God and what he's doing in this person, Jesus Christ. So last week we talked about Jesus turning water into wine. And now we're going to talk about a very interesting passage. Uh, I'll go ahead and read it and then we can talk about it. This is John 2, 12 through 22. I can also be found in your scriptures. After this, this is after the water and wine, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and his brothers and his disciples. And they stayed there for a few days. The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons, and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple, with the sheep and oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers, and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house will consume you. So the Jews said to him, What sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you will raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this. And they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. The word of the Lord. You know, every now and then we come across a passage that just seems flat out strange. And this is one of those, isn't it? You know, we think of Jesus and his teaching, you know, we see it, and we see him in Sunday school, you know, with the beautiful flowing locks, you know, the 60s flower child look. Uh, and we think we've got this guy put in a box, right? Meek and mild. And then we see something like this, an angry Jesus, a furious Jesus, a powerful Jesus that comes in and does something that we would have never thought that he would have done. What has caused this change in him? You know, you can't put the Son of God in a box, can you? Jesus has a message for us in what he's doing, but also in what he's saying. Because he makes this strange statement. That about himself being the temple. Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Now many of us have read that, and we just sort of go on, don't we? You know, it's one of those things like it's, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. You just read it and go, that's right. I'm going to move on now. Because we have no idea what he's talking about. Indeed, no one has an idea of what he's talking about. And we see here that the Jews are even uh, tongue-tied, if you will. Very interesting passage. We don't understand what happens after he says these things. You know, in other passages, Jesus makes controversial statements, and they want to kill him, or they cheer for him, or whatever. Nobody says anything. And you see, the difference between us and the Jews is they understand the statement that Jesus is making. And they're astonished by it. So much so that they don't have anything to say. And so we need to understand the difference. We need to be able to travel back in time if we are to understand this sign. Because Jesus has made it one of the critical signs of us understanding who He is. So in order to do that, we're going to cover three points. Number one, what's a temple? 
We don't have temples now, do we? What's a temple? What's represented in this temple? Because this story is all about the temple. Number one, who is Jesus? Uh, number one, me. What is Jesus? <laughs> and number one, C. Why do we, my wife always gets at me because I'll go, number one, B, and then three. No, number one, number two, what's a temple? Who is Jesus and how does he relate to this temple? And number three, why should we care? What does this have to do with our life when we walk out of this building? Well, let's go through these things. Because if we truly understand what Jesus is saying, Jesus is starting a revolution that can impact our life, that will impact our life in a way that we never could have seen and understand. All right, let's take a look. What is a temple? I'm going to sum up what a temple is in one word. A temple is an intersection. It's a cosmic crossroads, if you will. In the ancient world, if you went to different cities, you would see temples all over the place. You know, the temple to Artemis, the temple to Zeus, the temple to, uh, you know, these different Apollo. And why were there always these temples that were everywhere? We don't really see them now, do we? Because the ancient world understands something that we're just beginning to understand again. That there is a gap between the heavenly and the human. There's a gap between the divine and the earthly. There's a gap between what we can't understand and what we can understand here. And this space somehow needs to be bridged. Somehow we need to be able to intersect with heaven. Because life is more than simply what we see here. And so that's what a temple was. A temple was a place where heaven and earth intersected. Where you could come into the temple and experience the divine. You could experience what was going on. Now, it's very interesting in our world, isn't it? Because it sounds very weird. You know, temples are kind of strange and archaic. You know, the Masonic temple. What's, what's going on in there? We're not exactly sure. I don't know if anybody who lived in uh, Northern Virginia, you know, when you're coming around the Beltway and you see this magnificent Mormon temple. Beautiful building. What's happening in there? We don't exactly know. Because in our world, we had this thing that we call the Enlightenment. And if you remember in the Enlightenment, and we're all children of the Enlightenment, we basically said, there's nothing out there. It's all here. Indeed, with science and technology, we can understand and deduce all of what life is. Indeed, we can solve all of life's problems. The power is in man. I think, therefore, I am. I determine my own reality. But you know, after several world wars, and after several periods in time of social upheaval, we've come to realize that that's just not true. We may have made advances in science and medical technology, but have we eradicated poverty? Have we stopped slavery? Have we put a halt to racism? No, the truth of the matter is the young generation, and many of us are disenfranchised and simply don't believe this message anymore. You know, as I talk to young folks about church and, you know, if we ever get to build a church, you know what younger folks want? They want stained glass windows. They want beautiful wood churches. They want to intersect with the divine. Remember the churches in the 80s and the 70s, you know, where it looked like an auditorium hall? They don't want that. Because in this postmodern age, we hope and we understand there has to be something more or life is futile. Well, they understood that back then. And religion is actually growing in this country and other places. 
The, one, the places where religion is declining is in the mainstream Protestant churches that long ago jettisoned the idea of the divine. Everywhere else, it's growing. But you know, 92% of our country still believes that there is a God. Not much different than in 1940 when Gallup did the study. The temple is an intersection between heaven and earth. But the temple is also a bridge. See, the temple is a safe ground where heaven can meet earth and the whole thing is not going to blow up. See, we understand that God, whoever he is, is a holy God and a powerful God. And we can't simply come into his presence willy-nilly because we don't meet the cut. And so the temple is a safe ground where with many precautions one can come near to the divine. So with every temple there were regulations. A group of priests that administered at that temple who stood between God and man. And they needed to wear certain types of clothing and do certain types of ritual and certain types of sacrifices in order to get close to the divine. Close, close, but not quite all the way. Well, the Jewish temple speaks of this, and the whole, entire Old Testament is about God and man coming together. Remember, God, the God of the Israelites, was the God that came into the land of Egypt and drew out a people and called them his own. Listen to Deuteronomy 5.24. And, and you said, The Lord our God has shown us his glory and his majesty, and we have heard his voice from the fire. Today we have seen that a man can live even if God speaks with him. But now why should we die? This great fire will consume us and we will die if we hear the voice of our God anymore, any longer. For what mortal man has ever heard the voice of the living God speaking out of the fire as we have and survived? And in this time, if you remember when you go to Mount Sinai and you see your Ten Commandments, Moses is appointed to stand between the people and God because they get too close and they're terrified. And so God gives instructions to build a temple, a place where God will dwell. First Kings, when Solomon builds the final temple, he says to Solomon, I have heard the prayer and plea you have made before me. I have consecrated this temple which you have built by putting my name there forever. My eyes and my heart shall always be there. And this fire comes down, and this glory fills the temple, and none can go in it because of the presence of the Lord. You know, if you read, if you ever try to read through the Bible, okay, once you get to Leviticus, you see this uh, uh, commandment after commandment after commandment of how you are to come to the temple for fellowship offerings, for sin offerings, for grain offerings. Who can minister at the temple? Only the sons of Levi can be priests. There's this holy of holies. You can't go into it. Many rules and regulations by which the human can intersect the divine. In fact, this is exactly what Jesus is doing in this Passover feast, isn't it? We see at the beginning he's going to Jerusalem, and the reason he's going is for this Passover this requirement to come and sacrifice to God. And so Jesus comes to the temple. I don't know if this is the second time he's been there. If you remember, he came when he was 12 years old and they found him in the temple, teaching in the temple. So Jesus comes and what does he find? Verse 14, in the temple he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and the money changers sitting there. 
And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen, and he poured out the coins. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my house, Father's house, a house of trade. So I want you to just get a picture of this, okay? You're walking into this sacred space. And the way the temple was designed is the closer and closer you got, the more holy it got. And so in this court, the court of the Gentiles, which surrounds the inner court, and then there's the inner court, there's all of this oxen, and there's all of this lambs, and there's all of this noise and everything going on. It's like a market. In fact, it is a market. And so in this court of Gentiles, you see, the, the Gentiles couldn't even go into the next level. So they're in here, this court trying to worship, and all of this noise is going on and this haggling. Imagine if I was giving a sermon right now and there was a bunch of oxen in the back of this room. A little distracting? What do you think? It's bizarre. Okay, and that's what's going on here. And something strikes a chord, no pun intended, in Jesus, and he walks over and he begins to fashion something with these ropes. And he's kind of muttering to himself, and he's got this furrow in his brow, and his disciples are kind of looking at him like, you've got to go get the animals over here. What are you doing? And Jesus fashions this cord, of, of this rope with thick cords, and he goes crazy. He starts whipping the animals. He starts driving everybody out of the temple. He's going insane. Everyone's looking at it. They've never seen anything like this before. And then Jesus is coming over to these tables, okay, that are holding the money. And I'm sure they're pretty large, strong tables. And he's flipping them over. And all the cash is going everywhere. Now, you know, there was a temple guard. And though they're not mentioned, where there's money, there's usually security. And yet nobody seems able to restrain this man from this wild show of anger and fierceness as he drives everybody out. One man leaving the money, leaving their place out of the temple. Now the first question we have is why? Why is Jesus doing this? Truth be told, what these people were doing in the temple was a legitimate function. Because people would come from all over the world for Passover and they, they wouldn't be able to bring animals. It was too long of a journey, so they would come and they would buy the animal there. Indeed, God commanded them to, be, to make sacrifices. What made Jesus angry was the temple was being used differently than it was intended to be. Jesus says in another passage, My house was intended, my father's house was intended to be a house of prayer. Do not make it a house of trade. You've made it a marketplace, is what Jesus is saying. And he's ticked off. He's ticked off, I believe, with two groups of people. Number one, the profiteers. Have you ever been to the airport before? Ever wonder why a sandwich is $9 at the airport? Because they got you. Okay, there's nowhere else you can go. Ever gone to Bush Gardens? Okay, they've got you. There's nowhere else to go. And so people, they've got a monopoly here, whoever these people sanctioned are. And they're going ahead and they're profiting from this. And so nobody can pray because they're plying their trade in the market. See, they've erected this wall between God and man. And that's what's made God furious at them. Because this people, these 
uh, sellers are being overseen by the priests. The very people who are supposed to direct people to God, and they've erected this wall. But you see, I think there's another group that Jesus is frustrated with. He's frustrated with the people. Because the truth of the matter is, it's not only the profiteers who are making this a house of trade, it's the people as well. See, the, the deal is like this. Everybody goes in, and they're haggling with people for the best price for their animal, so they can go ahead and sacrifice, so they can go somewhere else. See, they're plying their trade as well. It's a house of trade with God. Let's make a deal. Let me bring these animals. Now, am I saying everybody was like that? No. But this is a sham. It's a show compared to what it was supposed to be. As people are making deals with God, because religion has turned into a transaction, not a relationship. Now, how do I know this? I know this because of Jesus' life and what he said. Matthew 15, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are the rules taught by men. How do I know that this was a house of great for people? Because Jesus walks up to them and nobody recognizes him. The God of the universe, the one they were going to see in the temple itself, shows up in the outer courts and nobody recognizes him. The scriptures say in John 1.9, just a couple passages earlier, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. See, the reason that people didn't see Jesus was they weren't looking for that. They weren't looking for God, and so they didn't recognize him. If you look in the scriptures, it's only few people that actually realized who he was. Everyone else, he was kind of this carnival, and this sideshow, and this performing miracles magician. See, they lost the point of the temple, and that's what made God so angry. Some of you know, uh, may know the legend of the story of the rebuilding, the building of the Taj Mahal. The Taj Mahal was built in the 1600s. The Emperor Shah Jahan went ahead and built this temple because he wanted to honor his wife who had died. So his wife had died and he mourned her and he loved her and he wanted to create something beautiful to preserve and remember her memory. So he had a plot of land, he put her coffin right in the middle of it and he started building around it. But as the Shah continued to work, his passion began to grow bigger and bigger for this building to make it more beautiful, more glorious, a testament to the world of what he could do. And as he spent more and more time with the contractor, spending more money and more everything, he began to become more and more impatient and domineering. And one day he was walking through a hall and he kicked his foot against a box. And he said, throw that thing out of here. It's getting in the way. It was his wife. See, he missed the point of the Taj Mahal. And it's so easy for us to miss the point of the temple, much like these uh, Jews were doing. See, in our heart of hearts, we all know that there's a gap between us and God. So the question is, how do we bridge it? Some of us say, you know, I don't need a temple. I can build one myself. 
I can build in my work, in my career, I can make a monument, and maybe it starts out for God to love Him, to honor Him, but all of a sudden, it becomes mine. A testament to me. We're not interested in God anymore. We've become God. <coughs> maybe your, uh, your work is in the house, and you take care of your family, and you make sure all the trains run on time, and your goal is to love God, and to show with your life um, how much you love Him, but all of a sudden, as you build and build and build, you begin to forget what it's all about. We don't need a temple, we build one. But Jesus has shown us how He wants us to meet with Him. You know, as I was reading this passage, I thought a little bit about church, which is kind of in itself a temple in the modern era, isn't it? You know, what have we come for in church? Why are we here? Perhaps we've come to make a transaction. To make an offering, if you will. To make peace with God. But at the end of the day, we're not seeking Him. You know, what if Jesus was to walk into the room and sit down right there? Would we recognize Him? Or would we be so busy haggling with Him that we wouldn't even know His presence? Maybe kicking out the box. Get out of here. We're busy doing something. So Jesus says that a temple is here. A temple that's here. And I am Him to seek me. Because the God of the temple has come out of the temple. But He says no deals. There's no haggling. There's no bargaining. You meet me on my own terms because I've come to you. It's not about the transaction. It's about a relationship with God. And until we're ready to move from a transaction to a relationship, we're just like these Jews in the temple. We've missed the entire thing. Jesus is upset. So now we understand what a temple is. Now we have to ask the question, who is Jesus? You know, Jesus walks into this temple and he acts like he owns the place. Okay, He's, he acts like he owns it. He calls it my father's house. You know, imagine you had a house guest, okay? Somebody you brought over for dinner. Okay, and this person walks into your home, and they say, you know what, I don't like that sofa there. I'm going to go ahead and move it. And so they rearrange the sofa. And this lighting, it's all wrong. Okay, I'm going to move that here. Oh, this wallpaper, good gracious. i got to get rid of this wallpaper. I don't like carpet. I'm going to put in wood. And they're busy going around. And of course, whoever owns the house is saying, who do you think you are? That's what Jesus is doing. See, Jesus, in the temple, everybody's a guest. But not Jesus. He's coming into his father's house. My kids love to rearrange my house. I can't get them to stop rearranging my house. Why? Because it's theirs. It's my father's house. But Jesus also walks into his house, his father's house, and he's angry He's angry because they're throwing a party. Imagine if you left, okay, you went on a trip and you come back, and there's a party going on in your house. These people who have broken in and they're tearing it up and they're using it for what it's not supposed to be. That's why Jesus is angry and upset. Because he's come home to his father's house and he sees them ruining it. So what does Jesus do? He drives them all out. Get out of my house. Just like we would do with our property. 
And so the people said, what sign do you give us that you can do this thing? I love how they say, no, you're wrong. How they don't say you're wrong. Oh yeah, you're way out of bounds here. They don't say that. They say, what sign? Prove to us that you have the authority to do what you're doing. And what does Jesus say? Destroy this temple, and I will build it again in three days. See, Jesus has destroyed this temple. What's he saying? He's saying a new temple is here. A new dwelling place for God. The temple is on the move. And this temple that you've been worshiping at has been vacated, is being vacated. The new temple is here. And this temple is different because this new temple is not made out of stone. It's a living temple. John 1.1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. 1.14, the Word became flesh and templed among us, is literally what it means in the Greek. God became a man and tabernacled and templed among us. This one, Jesus, is man and God and same. The fullness of God lives in a bodily form says the scriptures. The temple is no longer a place. The temple is a person. In fact, in Matthew 12, Jesus said, I tell you that one greater than the temple is here. The God of the temple is on the move. The temple and the God have become one. It's a new temple. But it's also an accessible temple. I love how God's right behind it, but no one recognizes it. You know, imagine you're going in to see somebody famous, okay? You know, of course they're back there. How do I get the backstage pass? And you turn around and they're right there behind you, getting a ticket. That's what's going on. This is an accessible temple. Where are the accoutrements that are surrounding Jesus? Where are the courts and the priests that are standing between us and Him? Where's the Holy of Holies that you can't enter into? Where's the shield, if you will, protecting the divine from the human? How is it that anyone can come and see this person, Jesus, Jew or Gentile? Because the temple has now become accessible. God and the temple are moving. It's not only a new temple, an accessible temple, it's a final temple. See, Jesus prophecies even here destroy this temple. He's talking about the fact that this other temple, this Jewish temple, is going to be destroyed. In Mark 13, 1, he says to the disciples as he came out of the uh, temple, as one of the disciples said, Look, teacher, what beautiful stones and wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. God has vacated the temple and has come into the world. Through Jesus Christ. See, they were worshiping the temple that was a temporary temple. And so they didn't even recognize when God was coming out and when God wasn't there. Finally, this new temple is an indestructible temple. Destroy this temple and I will raise it again. You can't tear it to the ground. It isn't phase two of the project. It's the final thing. It is the indestructible temple. There is never to be another one. To go to the temple, to meet God, is to go to this person, Jesus Christ. So how do we access this one? Through this body here that Jesus says. How do we get close to Jesus? Where is the sacrifice? 
I mean, you and I should be destroyed, shouldn't we? Coming near to this person, Jesus Christ. See, we don't bring sacrifices into this temple. The temple is the sacrifice. Totally different. I remember when we uh, uh, made a decision to adopt. And we felt God calling us to adopt. And so we went down to Nicaragua, where our daughter-to-be, Maria, was there. But you know, until we went there, there was an infinite chasm between Maria and us. There was no way Maria was going to get to us. No way that she was going to get through all of the, uh, you know, the barriers. She had nothing to pay. She had nothing to say, I want to be a part of you. Make me like one of your own. Let me come into your presence. But it was us that came near to her. It was us who sacrificed with our time and our money and our tears and our hopes and our dreams because we wanted her to be near us. We wanted to give her a new name, a new identity, to move her from stranger to daughter. See, that's what's going on here with Jesus. The temple has come looking for us. God has come near. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. 1 Peter 3.18, For God uh, came for sinners once for all, died for sinners once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. Because of Jesus, you can come near to this one. It's not just for the rich people, or the wise people, or the holy people. Frankly, most of them miss it, because they're so busy building their own temple, there's no space to see the true one. We can come near to this temple. Who are you worshiping? Who do you think that Jesus is? He's a great teacher. He's a good example. Or is he God himself in the flesh? The temple that's come so near that we can touch him and feel him and understand him. God has come near like we have come near to Maria. Well, that brings me to my final point, which I call, so what? You know, if that's true, if I can come near to God, where is he? I want to touch him, but I don't see him. So isn't this all just, you know, it doesn't amount to a hill of beans, frankly? Because it was for them and it's not for us? No. Because Jesus wants to do more than just come near to us. He actually wants to come in us. See, Jesus, the sacrifice, rose and was resurrected from the dead. And was touched and felt by His disciples. And then He ascended to heaven and He says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. So I can come to take you where I am. But until I do that, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. I will be in you and you in me, for I will send you a helper, the counselor, the spirit of truth, which I will take from me and make known to you. See, the wonder of the gospel is not only does God and the temple become one and accessible, but God wants to make us a temple in which God inhabits by his Holy Spirit. Jesus says, I want to make you my temple. 1 Corinthians 3.16, don't you, know, don't you know that you yourself are God's temple and that God's Spirit lives in you? The reason we can come near to God is God comes into us. 
You can come nearer to God than simply talking to Him face to face. The Spirit of God within us, Jesus Christ, who says, I will come and make my home with my Father in your heart. We can know His power and His glory. We can draw close to Him if we truly seek Him. See, there's two things that we have to do in order to draw near to, to, draw near to Jesus Christ. Number one, we have to have faith. We have to have faith in this temple who has come and ascended and brought Himself spiritually into us. Hebrews 10.21, And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. So many of us, we hear the story, but we're like those Jews. We're afraid to get too close. We're afraid we won't hear anyone. We are afraid that we won't experience His presence, and so it's better to keep up with the transaction thing. But Jesus says, I'm in you if you are a disciple. You are my temple. Come and dwell with me. I want to be with you. We must draw near in faith. And faith always takes a step. You take a step toward God. You will experience His presence. Number two, how do we draw near? We must surrender. You know, the thing about Jesus is, if He has the freedom and the ability to rearrange that temple, guess what? He needs to have the freedom and ability to do the same thing you. See, Jesus is going to walk into your life and is going to start rearranging the furniture. Why? Because your temple has become His. Wow. I don't know. It's a lot. That's, that's a bit dangerous, isn't it? What if I give him access to my heart and he starts moving things around? What if he starts breaking things? But Jesus says, I want all of you because I give all of you. And you know what? I'm willing to come into your house even though it's all wrecked and all messy and I'm going to rearrange it and I'm going to make it beautiful. I'm going to make it what it was supposed to be. I'm taking what is inhabitable and I'm going to make you habitable by God Himself. And it's for anyone. Maybe you have a mansion. Maybe you have a broken down shack. It doesn't matter because God can make all things beautiful. I want to remodel you is what Jesus is saying. And sometimes remodeling hurts, doesn't it? Many of us may be under the renovation process right now. Where we draw near God and we've experienced Him, and yet we have pain in our life. And we have difficulties, and we're wondering, God, are you still there? He's just working away, gently like the Master. Because His deepest desire is to dwell within you and me. The temple has left the building in the person of Jesus Christ, and He's come to dwell. If your deepest desire is Him, then you must open your hands. And you must say, I'll be your temple. Come into my life. Rearrange it if you want. What I want is you. The promise of the gospel, my friends, is that Jesus Christ, through him, you can have an intimate relationship. There's no animal you can get. There's no hoops you need to jump through. There's no five courts of holiness. It's just you saying, God, I want you. Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it to the full. And this is eternal life that you 
true God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. If you're not a Christian, this is an invitation to open your heart to the true temple, Jesus Christ, who says, if you surrender your life to me, I will come in and dwell with you, and I will make you holy, because I am holy. If you are a Christian, maybe it's time that you let go of some things in your life. Maybe it's time that you let go of religion. You've been hanging on to it. You've taken a step back, and instead to come to God and embrace Him, and say, you're what I want. You can make me clean. Thank you, Jesus, for coming into my life. He comes that we might have life and have it to the full. You know, if we live that way, folks, individually, Jesus also says that you, church, are being built into a spiritual house where God lives. And if we choose to live that way and choose to live that way together, you know what? When people walk into this room, they're going to experience the presence of God. And isn't that what this community is looking for? They just don't know his name. And so that's our challenge and our hope as a church. Let God fill us as individuals and let God fill us as a church. And let us manifest the glory of God as we enjoy him and celebrate him, both in our hearts and in the world. Let's pray. Jesus, you are the true temple. How could we ever get uh, through the gap, Lord? How could we ever bridge the chasm? Jesus, we thank you. We're thankful that you are a living temple. And you're also the sacrifice. You're everything that we need. And you came and found us when we were in the outer court. Lord, help us to draw near to you, to hold on to you, to know you and seek you, to experience the intimacy with you in the confines of our own heart. We want to know you, Jesus. Help us to surrender and let go of whatever it is, the walls that we've built up between us and you, whether shame or anger or hurt. Let us give those things to you so you can break them down and you can make us beautiful, for you are beautiful. We pray all these things in Christ's name.